When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him there, with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing two hundred loaves of bread, a hundred birches of raisins, a hundred of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought me these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in in your sight, my lord the king. Ziba comes to David. Who's Ziba? Yes, the man that David has appointed for Mephibosheth to be in charge of the estate since Mephibosheth himself was crippled. And what does Ziba come to David with? (coughs) Yeah, donkeys, food, you know, wine, everything that he he needs. Uh, A lot of supplies that I would suspect were very needed, very uh, timely for David at this point in time. And he says to Ziba, why do you have these? I don't think Ziba answered that question exactly. Do you notice what he said? You know, well, the donkeys are for riding on, and the bread's for eating, and the wine's for drinking. Okay? Um, Maybe more deeply, why did he bring these to David? I think that's more the question that he doesn't answer. You might think about what the answer is to that as we look at this. David says, now, where is uh, Mephibosheth? Well, what's the bad news? What does he say? He's an opportunist. Yeah. In what sense? He wanted to regain his granddaddy's throne. He thought this would be the chance to work his way back into the kingship now that there's sort of a power vacuum in Jerusalem. Now, wow, think about how generous and gracious David had been to Mephibosheth. David taking the initiative to bless Mephibosheth and to give him back Saul's properties and to let him eat at his table and all that sort of thing. You know, how would David feel when he hears this? been double-crossed. You know, be really outrageous. You know, that, that rascal. You got to do all this for him and then look at what happens. You can see how that would have been really hard for David to hear. And uh, would that, does that seem very smart on Mephibosheth's part? I'm not sure there's such a power vacuum he thinks there is. I think we got a few too many, not a few too few. You know, Absalom certainly is not going to roll over and play dead for Mephibosheth, of all people. <laughs> so it, it just doesn't seem very smart. Um, it was a bit of monumental miscalculation on Mephibosheth's part to imagine that here's my chance. I can take over uh, my granddaddy's throne suddenly. Uh, but that's what Ziba says. What's, uh, what does David do about this right here and now? 
gives everything all of it to the chefs, stuffed up. Zeba, exactly. He is, you know, telling Zeba, all that Mephibosheth has, all the property and everything, is now yours. He is outraged that Mephibosheth would, you know, be so, such a traitor to him. <laughs> now, sometimes I teach this. If I'm teaching somebody, I know I'll keep teaching. I'll just teach this like this and just tell them, don't you dare teach this until we get on later on in the story. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really kind of cool if somebody hadn't really read through this and studied through it, just to kind of leave them furious with Mephibosheth, as David was. But there is reason to suspect the integrity of Ziba. For one thing, as David comes back several chapters later, Mephibosheth will meet him and he's got a totally different story. He will say essentially that, that Ziba was saddling the donkey for him to come out when Ziba grabbed up everything and left and Mephibosheth, being handicapped, didn't have a way to come. And then Ziba used this opportunistically to try to get in with David uh, and, and falsely accused Mephibosheth. And you can certainly see how Ziba could have been positioning himself. If he calculated that Absalom's rebellion would fail, then if he comes bringing supplies and telling a story on Mephibosheth, he probably thought he might stand to benefit by this. Um, and David, at, at the very least, whatever you may want to say when we come to it, to try to decide whether Ziba was telling the truth or Mephibosheth was telling the truth, David made a mistake right here. Either way you go with who told the truth, David made a mistake, and what, what was his mistake? Not hearing the other side. Exactly. He has a responsibility to hear the other side before he passes a verdict. Now think about Proverbs 18 for a minute. There's a couple of verses in here that are appropriate. Verse 13, 18, 13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him, and especially Proverbs 18, 17, the first to plead his case seems right, until another comes and examines him. Who can't, you know, sound right if that's all you listen to? Well, actually, some people can't. But mostly, you know, if you only hear one side, they sound convincing. But you don't know the truth until you've heard the other side. Okay. Where is uh, the Bibleshet telling the other side? 19, uh, what, about, what is it? I forget. 24 to 30. Yeah, 19, 24 to 30. Very good thing. Um, God gave us two ears to hear both sides, and we need to do that before we pass judgment. Now, let me give you some perfect examples of that. You ever got in the middle of a husband-wife dispute, and you hear one side, and you hear the other side, and you're like, are they talking about the same event? <laughs> you know, you, it's unrecognizable. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things like that. You just hear one side wow people can lie they can distort they can twist they can manipulate they can maneuver and you don't really know until you hear both sides the wise thing to do is to reserve judgment to be cautious david was anything but cautious here he very reflexively just said now you've got all the property well mephibosheth hasn't had a time to even make a defense or to cross-examine zeba or anything you know, so, so that I think was very foolish on David's part. It's 
of the reasons why we need to be careful not to listen to gossip. Because it's easy to be influenced by unjust criticism that the other person has no chance to respond to. You know, because sometimes there are rumors that just aren't true. You see that in the Bible occasionally. And uh, so we don't know when we've heard one half, one side of the story, what the real truth is. But if we go and act upon that as if we knew it all, then we're making a big mistake. Thoughts and comments? Yeah, Jason. You know, not to defend David or make excuses for him, but he, you know, he feels like his whole world is crumbling around him and everybody is, is turned against him. And, and so the first inclination, you know, that it would be easy for him to believe what Zena said. And so when we're in situations like that, it's, it's very difficult to think objectively, but we need to force ourselves to do that. Yeah, and Zeba has been so helpful bringing the supplies. I think that's another big thing. You know, he's really dependent on Zeba. This has been a wonderful blessing. Yes? Okay, good. Other uh, thoughts? Michael? Um, as a question, verse 3 the king asks, where is your master's son? Shouldn't it be grandson? Um, good question. Uh, but son sometimes means grandson in the Bible. That's my answer. I don't know if I'm right. Anybody want to confirm or deny that? I think that's the case. But Son of David for Jesus, for example. Okay. Other comments or questions? Uh, 5 to 14. Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was uh, Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom your son. So now you are caught in your own evil, because you are a bloodthirsty man. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zuriah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all the servants, and all of his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. And it may be fulfilled, and it may be that the Lord will look upon my affliction, and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went, threw stones at him, and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people were who were with him became weary, so they refreshed themselves there. What an interesting character. You know, Shimei is allied with Saul and the Benjamites, 
And he takes advantage of this moment to start doing what? Yeah, adding insult to injury. Cursing David, throwing stones at him. Not, probably not stones to kill, but more, you know, small stones that, you know, are painful and just annoying. And uh, that's what he's doing. And he says, uh, verse 7, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you've reigned, and, and so forth and so on. So, you know, what do you see in Shimei? Bitterness. Bitterness. Down. Yeah, what do you call that? Dirty. Dirty. Cowardly. Cowardly, yeah. You know, of all things. You know, get a safe distance away while the guy's fleeing and start, you know, throwing stones and insults. You know, it doesn't take much of a man to be able to do that, does it? So that, that's kind of ridiculous in a way. And what's he accusing David of? Nothing that David did. Yeah, what? He's not letting the facts get in the way of his opinion. <laughs> good point. Yes. Uh, that's a good line. What was he accusing David of? Killing off the house of Saul. Killing off the house of Saul. I wonder what he has in mind. Ishbosheth, the Gibeonites. Maybe with the Gibeonites' revenge, killing seven of Saul's descendants. That's chapter twenty-one, but that's in the appendix section, which could have occurred before this. Being a leader of the Philistines. Maybe when he was with the Philistines, though I don't think he killed anybody from Saul's family at that point. But how about Abner? How about Saul? I, David had no part in any of those, but. Maybe that's what he said. I don't know. He's making up the facts, I guess, as he goes. Um, and trampling on the fallen. And uh, what is Abishai's idea? Yeah. He's always ready with a swift solution. You know, radical surgery is the answer. You know, the sword solves all your problems. Let me just go and cut his head off. That'll deal with it. You know, isn't that amazing how we are? You know, just ready to, to you know, we'll fight. You know, resort to violence, as if that proves anything. You know, it doesn't take anybody too brainy to, you know, push, pull the trigger of a gun, you know, or thrust a sword in somebody, whatever. Any, any idiot can, you know, figure out how to do that. Uh, but that's Abishai. You know, that's what he wants. And what's David's answer? Kind of distances, distances himself from the Always has trouble with uh, his, uh, you know, nephews. They're always a pain in the neck, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and his idea is if the Lord told him to curse David, then who am I to object? I mean, he almost sees this as God ordained. You know, this may go back to the Eeyore idea. You know, if, if God wants him to curse me, then let him curse me. Uh, everybody else against my own son's against me. How am I going to punish Shimei? You know, and, uh, but, but I think he's trusting in the Lord also. Maybe the Lord will be gracious to me and will repay me good for the evil I'm suffering. So I think his faith in God is such that he believes God will deal with this and he doesn't, shouldn't take matters into his own hands. 
Um, isn't it amazing? If there's any quarrels against somebody, they'll be brought up when he's down. Jason. Well, this goes back to when Abner, when he's mourning Abner and responding to what happened to, to, uh, to Abner, mourning Abner, he says, I am weak today, though anointed. I'm in chapter 3. Yeah. And these men, the sons of Zariah, too difficult me, may the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil. So there's some parallels in it. God, David is putting this into God's hands. Yes, good point. Right. Of all people to accuse of being violent against Saul's household, I mean, how many times had David spared Saul and he really had a pretty good reason to kill him? That is a pretty outrageous accusation. Yeah, good point. And, and look at what Saul had tried to do to David. Michael. Uh, is this stretch to parallel, like, because I know we you know, talked about, like, average, um, um, a hit to fell with, like, Judas, kind of. Like, would it be a stretch to kind of parallel this with, like, Peter trying to cut off the guys? I know it's a stretch, but, like, a similar attitude shown by David as shown by Jesus there. Yeah, that's, I think that's cool. I hadn't thought about it, but that makes sense. Oh, the, the sword is the answer. <laughs> Other thoughts, questions, comments? Dan? I don't think it's any coincidence that, I mean, it's like the, the problems he's going through seem to just be very specific. They come from his two sons, one after the other, um, raping a sister and then killing a son. And then now they're coming from Saul's family. Uh, he thinks that Mephibosheth is against him and now this from from a Saul's household it is very obvious that they're just he's experiencing specific difficulties I mean he's just experiencing difficulties that he, that he has to overcome in order to, to to stay strong and out of this problem it is definitely a challenge man can you imagine being David you know suffering everything he is and then going through these things just what you need you know you're already on the ground you know uh, my dad always used to say uh, lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. You know, uh, <laughs> kind of a graphic way of imagining that, but David's about as low as you can get, and then, you know, throw some dirt on him and some stones on him and insult him. You know, should be, I just continues doing it. You know, he's just very provocative here. You know, because he's not close enough to get, quite, you know, stays a little distance away and pelts him. So, it's just, it, it would be really difficult to be in David's shoes, I think. Other comments? I think it's difficult Logan. but needed. I mean, he's doing a lot better spiritually in the state than in the state. I do think that David shines in adversity. Good point. <coughs> Other thoughts? Well, uh, verse 15 to, uh, let's go ahead and do 15 to 23. And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, into Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. Now it came about when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Then Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Besides, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in your father's presence, so I will be in your presence? Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your advice. What shall we do? 
Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one inquired of the word of the Lord, so was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. So, um, you know, Absalom comes into Jerusalem, and Hushai's right there. Long live the king! Long live the king! What's Absalom's immediate response? Who do you mean? Me or my dad? Well, yeah, no, I don't know if it's quite that, but it's like, well, what about David? Since you're loyal to your friend? I mean, this just doesn't seem quite right. You know, I mean, David's your friend. Why are you saying this to me? And Hushai said, no. Now he's trying to give the idea that he's loyal to the throne, not to the ruling monarch. But what he says is, no, for whom the Lord, this people, and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Well, what does that mean to Absalom? Absalom, that means what? You're on my I'm with you, man. You know, you're the guy. But what does Hushai really mean by this? Well, the Lord and the people chose David. Exactly. Where did the Lord ever choose Absalom? He does not mean Absalom. He wants Absalom to think he means Absalom. He's a master of double talk. This guy's a slick customer. You know, long live the king means David, but he intends for Absalom to hear Absalom. Who the Lord chose, this people chose, and all the men of Israel have chosen, that's David. And he's going to stay David's. But of course, Absalom, blinded by his own ego, is flattered by the idea that even Hushai's on his side. What a blessing. You know, ego will cause you to do some foolish things. And it's going to cause Absalom to later actually listen to Hushai because he thinks that Hushai is pledging loyalty to him. Comments and questions on this, uh, you know, Hushai double talk? Ethan. I just think it's interesting that Absalom thinks it's such a crazy thing for him, to, for uh, Hushai to leave David when, when, his own, when Absalom and David's own son betrayed him. Yeah, I don't know what there was about Hushai that made him more skeptical. But yeah, it's interesting. Jacob. It's kind of interesting that Absalom doesn't call his father his father or David. He just refers to him as Hushai's friend. And we know that, I mean, he separated himself from David in the past, and he's going to do that uh, next with Ahithophel's counsel. And it's just interesting that he doesn't want to have any part with David. Like, he's not his father, he's not David, he's Hushai's friend. Good point, I hadn't thought about that, Megan. Continue with Ethan's comment, I think, like, why it was so difficult for him to believe that Hushai had left David is because, like, Hushai was David's friend, and, um, and David's son, he just didn't really have a good relationship with his father. Like, okay. 
David. Right. Yeah. He must have known about the closeness between David and Hushai. I agree with that. Yeah, good point. Perhaps that also speaks to the character of Hushai and his loyalty. That he's not the kind of man that would betray You wouldn't someone. expect him to double-cross David? Yeah. Good point. Kelly. Yeah, on that point, I mean, should we admire Hushai, Hushai in some ways? I mean, he's, he, this is not exactly an enviable mission. He's a secret agent, and I mean, it kind of reminds me of the hand, handmaids of, of Egypt who were having to perhaps lie, but uh, were people of faith. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Clint. Yeah, I guess I was sort of thinking along those lines. I mean, Hushai is intentionally deceiving Absalom, but he's not saying anything wrong, but he's trying to make him believe something that's not true. So, I mean, I don't know how to see that. You know, would that be sinful? He's pretty clever. Uh, he's, he's a sharp guy. I, what we are intended to see in that, maybe nothing. I'm not sure this is the commentary on that one way or the other. But we do see he's the master of saying one thing that Absalom interprets the opposite way. Of course, he intends for him to, but you're right. What he said was absolutely true. It just wasn't said uh, to the person who understood it the correct way. Now, you know, Absalom goes to Ahithophel for advice, and Ahithophel gives some very wise advice in the sense of Absalom's goals. What does he tell Absalom he ought to do? Go up to your father's house. Why? To show that he now has power. Yes. And, and, and that you're burning your bridges behind you. Once they know that you have taken David's harem, it will be obvious there will be no possibility of reconciliation between you and David. It, it, it will not be possible for them to, to be united anymore because he's taken the harem. Now that was something that was done, as we've said earlier, to kind of give title to the throne. The successor takes the harem. And so he's saying, I'm the successor, and there's no turning back now. You know, that Absalom is absolutely resolved to follow this through to the end. So it kind of strengthens the will of the people who are on Absalom's side. They're not going to have to worry about Absalom suddenly getting back in with David and now they're on the outs. You know, clearly once Absalom takes the harem, then it's do or die. There's no, you know, getting back uh, into a good relationship with David. And so Absalom does. Where does he violate his father's concubines? On the roof. Remember anything about that one? The very place where all this started. Yeah, exactly. Turnabout's fair play. God's causing him to reap, David to reap what he sowed. The very roof from which he saw Bathsheba is the roof where Absalom takes his concubines. And Hithabel's uh, wise. You know, he's shrewd, maybe would be a better term. And both David and Absalom implicitly trust his advice. He virtually runs the country. David or Absalom, if he says something, they take it as law and gospel. He does seem to be very, very sharp about this. He makes one fatal miscalculation we'll see in chapter 17. But overall, his advice is right on in terms of Absalom's goals. Comments and questions? Eric. How could they say that it was as if 
it was the word of God when his advice was... I think they're saying they trusted as much as if it were the word of God. Not that it is, but to them it was just like Bible to them. Looks like scripture to them. They just really believe it. Tim? I would say uh, that's also uh, Absalom taking saw his concubines was a fulfillment of the prophecy made in chapter 15, verse 12, where it said, What you have done in secret, uh, you will have done to you inside of all of Israel. Yeah, good point. Logan? It says um, in verse 23 that it was not a saint esteem, that the advice of the Hithophel was esteemed as the word of the Lord. Not just by Absalom, but also by David. So would he have been? Can we say he was guilty of esteeming Hithophel's advice too highly? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Hithophel's advice seems very sure all through this. He gets what he's trying to get. Damon. This, uh, as we've said, this this going into the concubines is something that many nations would do to kind of. Uh, taint the seed of the previous king or whatever. Well, he doesn't have the full harem. Going to uh, Ahithophel and asking this, we, we don't see a lot of Ahithophel prior to this uh, insurrection. We see David going and inquiring of the Lord a lot and taking advice from there, whereas Absalom continually goes to human and man to, to get his advice. So we kind of really see this contrast that even when David's down, that uh, in the long run, Absalom's probably going to fail. Yes. Yeah, he was not inquiring of the Lord, obviously. He wasn't seeking the will of the Lord. Yeah. Other thoughts? Okay. In chapter 